Welcome to Silicon Valley Vibes, a podcast from SVLG that talks to the people driving the conversations that matter for our incredible innovation ecosystem in the Valley and beyond. I'm your AI announcer, Vivi. Today's episode features some incredible guests. The first, a conversation with CEO and founder Guillermo Diaz on how his upbringing in Pueblo, Colorado, his time in the military, and his experiences in Silicon Valley all shaped his vision for an innovative Web3 digital multiverse called Conectado. And the second focuses on sustainability and storytelling in the entertainment industry with a true Hollywood insider, Kyle Zazo. And delivering this incredible content to your eardrums via a complex matrix of hypersonic radio waves are our SVLG hosts, Nadia Anderson, Chief of Staff and SVP of Strategy, as well as her co-host, Peter Leroux Munoz, General Counsel and SVP of Tech and Innovation. Welcome to the show. I'm Nadia Anderson. And I'm Peter Leroux Munoz. And we're excited to be bringing you Silicon Valley Vibes. On this episode of SVB, we are packing our bags and heading to Hollywood for a conversation with alternative television executive and sustainability aficionado and my self-proclaimed new BSF, Kyle Zezo to get his take on sustainability and storytelling in the entertainment industry. But first, I sit down with Guillermo Diaz, CEO and founder of Conectado, to talk about how his upbringing in Pueblo, Colorado, his time in the military, and his experience in Silicon Valley all shaped his vision for Conectado, which is an innovative Web3 digital multiverse destination bringing together individuals, educational institutions, social impact organizations, and corporations all to increase representation. You know, I've had the pleasure of hearing Guillermo speak on a number of occasions and in a number of settings. And I will say that each time he always brings the real conversation, but it's also very relatable and actionable. Let's listen in. Welcome everyone. You're plugged into Silicon Valley Vibes, the premier source for information and insights into the innovation economy. On today's episode, we welcome Guillermo Diaz, founder and CEO of Conectado, a Web3 multiverse that connects students, research institutions, social organizations, and others to increase representation in technology and business leadership. Guillermo, it's great to have you join us. Peter, it's great. And I, and I love that your last name ends in Z, like mine, Guillermo <laughs> Diaz. Uh, and, and, and how great you said my name. You didn't say Gorillamo or Geronimo or Guermo. Well, we both had that experience where sometimes it can be difficult uh, for others to pronounce our, our last names. And, you know, your journey to Conectado is super interesting. You started your career serving in the U.S. Navy, and then mm -hmm. you transitioned to Silicon Valley, taking on technology leadership roles at Alsa Corporation, Silicon Graphics, and Cisco. How did your mm -hmm. past influence your present work with Conectado? Well, I, I guess even if we go one step back, you know, growing up, born and raised in, in a place called Pueblo, Colorado, and coming from the east side, I guess growing up in the east side of anywhere is a challenge. Um, but I think, you know, I was just kind of writing something up today, uh, even for something I'm doing, and just thinking about the story from what I call the classroom to career to the boardroom. And sort of that, that's, that's been my journey. And if I go back to classroom, 
I think about <clears throat> growing up in Pueblo, uh, having a really strong family tie because we're Pueblo is about 52% uh, Hispanic or Latino in Pueblo, Colorado. So most of my friends were like me. We grew up, we were, you know, and we grew up on the east side and we're mostly, we didn't call them Latinos back then. We called them, we're either Mexican or we're Chicanos, right? So having that, that strong community, but also the, the family support, especially my grandmother who always said, someone's going to change the world. Why not you? And so, so I didn't know what those kind of words meant back then, but they always stuck with me along the way. But growing up, we didn't have you know, a lot of money for me to go to, to college. So my mom and I, we thought, well, maybe the way to get there is you know, getting money through, through the U.S. military, which had a program for you know, college uh, funding. And so I decided to go to the Navy and you know, serendipitously, I uh, learned about technology but also learned about other cultures that, because you go into the military, most of the people there are not Latino. You know, there's probably less than 10% of my, my group was Latino. So I had to deal with other cultures. So it's a, a, you know, learning technology, learning diversity, and then always having that sense of community, sort of like those three sort of interwoven together you know, kind of, you know, if you kind of leapfrog to today, that is the foundation of Conectado, which is how we use technology to bring up that next generation, but also maintaining culture and maintaining your diverse backgrounds and still having that sense of community. So that's kind of where, what, you know, if you kind of bookend those two things, that's, that's where it all began and that's where we're at today. And conectado or connected in English is all about creating community. How is our conception of community changing in light of new online spaces in Web3? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You know, I'm doing this report about Latinos in technology and the rise of AI. And if you look at over the next, um, you know, looking at our community, we tend to be very familial. We tend to be, you know, very loyal. We also have a culture sometimes, though, we are very humble in many ways. And, you know, oftentimes I get the, you know, hey, gee, you went to, you know, Guillermo, you went to the levels of CEO, uh, CIO at Cisco, Chief Information Officer. How did you do that? How did you get to the C-level in such a large company? And you know, I said is I asked, hmm. you know, you, you, you need to, you know, a lot of times we, we tend to stay in our lane because that's what we're taught. No, mijo, stay in your lane because you have a great job. Don't rock the boat. <clears throat> and I, and I always went back to the words that my grandmother said, and she said, someone's going to change the world. Why not you? So that person's going to do it. Why not you? And so that is something that I, try to transmit and amplify in our community because the opportunity right now, especially with this intersection of the rise of AI and the, the acceleration of the Latino cohort. So Latinos, if you look at, and some of the, the data is coming out soon, 
is the GDP of the Latino cohort in the United States is, is $3.2 trillion, which means that it continues to grow as the second largest demographic. And in many states like our own California and in Texas, Latinos are already the majority. So I went back and looked at, well, where are the jobs in AI and where are the jobs in technology? And they, they almost exactly overlap in the states where Latinos are very, you know, uh, either a majority or there's a large uh, population of Latinos in those, in those states. And the headquarters of these companies happen to be in those states. So he's like, if you look at the correlation there, it's like, what a big opportunity for the advancement of Latinos in technology in the future of jobs that are going to create generational wealth. So I think there's a big, a big intersection there. And the moment is now. Guillermo, when we look at regions for technology and the opportunity going forward, certainly Silicon Valley has, has that in spades. But we also sometimes don't include all members of our community in the success of our region. And it's, it's easy to look at, at East San Jose, for example, or, or other parts of our community that are left out from the success of the tech industry. Where have we been falling short in bringing up a diverse cohort of workers to take advantage of Silicon Valley's innovation? Well, that's such a great question and, and something that's been, I guess, just putting it out there, it's been on my nerves for over a decade. Well, as I left Cisco in February of 20 and decided to go and launch Conectado, which was really about how do we connect these this younger generation, uh, especially Latinos, from the classroom to their first career opportunity and ultimately to the boardroom. But they say, if you, if you want to solve a problem, look in your own backyard first. And my backyard happens to be Silicon Valley. The numbers that I came up with were that, you know, in the Silicon Valley, almost 41% of K through 12 students are Latino. And in the heart of tech, if you look at the, the number of, uh, uh, of Latinos represented in technology, in the heart of tech, it's only 4%. So you have 40% and you have 4% representation in jobs. And, it, and, and if you go into leadership roles, it's only about two and a half percent. So there's a big chasm there. So that's why we really went after this and said, how do we connect that and bridge that chasm so that we can bring those two things together? The problem being there's a, there's, there's the largest, you know, workforce is about to enter, you know, in, in, over the next decade. Yet the jobs of the future and which are predominantly technology, stem, you know, STEM kind of roles, there's a, there's a bit of a, a chasm there. So Peter, as an example, one of the things that we just did was we launched a boot camp in Conectado. And, and Conectado is a gaming platform, so it's a metaverse platform. So we brought students from Cristo Rey Eastside San Jose. We brought students from Cristo Rey Oakland. These are high school students, by the way. We brought students from Hollister, which is right there. It's more of a, 
you know, rural community there in, in, in the Silicon Valley. And we, we basically put them through a boot camp that we partnered with Stanford on called Bioinformatics and Career Readiness. And we wanted to show is like, if you put resources around these students who, you know, by all rights, don't have a chance, right? Or aren't giving the chance. But if you put resources, you put mentorship, you put, you know, uh, you start to pull employers and give them visibility into what's going on. And you give them these modules and you give them support. We wanted to show, hey, they could they could actually get a Stanford credential and a Conectado credential. And we just went through that boot camp. Five weeks later, these students graduated and um and you know they they've shown they can actually go through a really rigorous course called bioinformatics from Stanford University, and it's and and they're still in high school, so it's um, you know that chasm, you know it, it can be solved, but we need to continue to raise awareness. We need to continue to to bring to light these issues of historical bias. We'll be right back with more Silicon Valley vibes after this. Hi, I'm Nadia Ahmad, Silicon Valley Leadership Group Foundation Board Member and serving on the Turkey Trot Steering Committee. I'm inviting and encouraging all of you, your coworkers, friends, and family to kick off Thanksgiving Day with the 19th Annual Applied Materials Silicon Valley Turkey Trot, the largest Thanksgiving Day race in the country. Participation is welcome both in person or virtual from anywhere in the world. The TROT directly supports four charities, the Healthier Kids Foundation, the Health Trust, Second Harvest of Silicon Valley, and Santa Cruz County. It's a Thanksgiving tradition supporting your health while supporting the health and wellness of our community. Please go to svturkeytrot.com for information. We hope to see you there. Hey everyone, it's your favorite AI announcer, Vivi, and now back to your favorite podcast, Silicon Valley Vibes. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Vibes. You know, that conversation with Guillermo was one of my favorites. He used a term that is very familiar to me when he said, things have been on my nerves for a period of time. I definitely did a little bit of snapping on this end while continuing to listen in. And per usual, he dropped some jewels some things that he has seen, but also a call to action for all of us here at Next Generation as we continue to think about going big and stepping into seats and tables. Because like he said, if you don't do it, somebody else will. That's right, Nadia. The second half of the conversation with Guillermo was really centered around leveraging the power of technology to scale efforts to improve outcomes for communities and the importance of leading by example. Guillermo left a big role at Cisco to start Conectado and took a huge risk in doing so. Let's listen in. We need to continue to raise awareness. We need to continue to, to bring to light these issues of historical bias. Guillermo, I am so thankful that you gave a shout out to Hollister because that is the city in which my dad actually grew up. And he was the son of migrant farm workers and his very first memory was actually working out in the fields, picking apricots. And he was lucky enough to have an opportunity to work hard, get a scholarship to UC Berkeley. And now he's a, uh, 
He's an attorney himself. What is the, the role of Latinos who are already in those positions of leadership, but they don't necessarily work on kind of the ERG or the diversity efforts day to day? What, what can they do in their role to increase that pipeline of opportunities for for others? Yeah, I, that's it's a great question, and I think you know if I look at even my own my own self, is I you know when I left Cisco, I, f- I felt like you know I have more resources than I ever imagined I could have growing up in the east side of Pueblo. So similar to to what you described, and what can I do? So I can go out and say, "Hey, you should all do this and that." And but I I looked at at myself and my family, and I said, "What could what could I do? What could we do to to not just you know use the words, but actually walk the talk?" And so um, and I've been doing this for years, but but I stepped out of my role in in corporate. And decided, you know, I'm going to do this as, you know, this is my life's work. So if I can show somebody behind me that, hey, if I could do it, and if you heard my story, you know, I come from the east side. I didn't have money to go to school. I went to the Navy. I went to community college. I, you know, if I could create a, you know, a platform and a way for them to reduce the cycle time that it takes for them to get to the same place then that's my life's work. And if we could show an example of that and scale it using technology, that would be awesome. And instead of just going out and telling, you know, asking people to do it, it's like show an example. If each of us do that and we could just bring along, you know, five, five people, just imagine what that could be. And if that five people can then leverage the power of technology, that can scale to to 500 people, and that could scale to 5 million, which, by the way, 5 million students are Latinos are now enrolled in Hispanic-serving institutions in the United States, 5 million. So there's a big opportunity there to increase the numbers of, uh, uh, you know, represented in, in, uh, in all fields. Well, I love this concept that you're talking about where you're using technology to scale efforts to improve outcomes for communities. And, and really, you're leaning into to some cutting-edge stuff. And, and Web3 is a concept that has generated a lot of discussion, a lot of speculation, and also a lot of opportunity. What do you see as the potential future for Web3? Yeah, I, I, think, I think Web3 is foundational, right? I think Web3, if you look at the key elements of that, which are, you know, the blockchain, there's a lot, lot more, lot more uh, Latino entrepreneurs that are, that are moving into fintech kind of companies, leveraging foundational blockchain. Also, you know, NFTs, right? Non-fungible tokens. And if you think about that, if you think about our artistic background and our artistic heritage as Latinos, who better than to take that art and actually employ it in an, into an NFT and not just get thousands of dollars for, for their work, but potentially millions because someone is getting millions of dollars on these NFTs. Why not us? Why not Latinos? 
So I think if you look at those things, but I also think that's foundational. There's a level above that, which is experiential, which is what we're working on. We're, we're also, we're working on the web three piece, also working on the experiential piece, like, okay, if most of our students are already using a mobile device and they're gaming on it, why don't we meet them where they're at and use the power of gaming, using the power of, of uh, imagination and, and, uh, and in the metaverse to be able to meet them where they're at and, 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 and help them sort of, you know, use those technologies to help them navigate their journeys. And when we went through this boot camp, most of the of the work that they were doing was in this game, the Conectado gaming platform or the metaverse. And the first week we used Zoom uh, to interact with them, to get them going. And then we started moving them to this, this gaming metaverse platform and then, so by the end of the five weeks, you know, if you ask the question of, would you prefer using this, you know, this kind of gaming platform or Zoom, it was overwhelmingly uh, shifted to, uh, you know, because that's where they're at. As soon as we, you know, I was trying to you know, teach them how to use the Conectado, you know, the platform, and they're already getting in there, flying around, creating their avatars and whatnot. And then it's like, holy smokes, they just blew me away. I was learning from them. So as part of this, I am also, I actually also feel like I'm creating my own new career as a gamer or as a developer of games. And it's, uh, and it's, it's so awesome to do that. I agree. You've got to meet people where they are and you've got to meet them with an open mind because that learning goes very much both ways. We've included many executives and entrepreneurs here on Silicon Valley Vibes. Can you offer any words of advice to young professionals who are just beginning their journey? Across the board, I, I, I say this, but I want to specifically also, you know, sort of direct this at those that are underrepresented from underserved communities or those that are in positions where we're the underdog. I would, you know, and I come from that world. But I always say is someone is going to change the world. Why not you? Someone is going to do that job. When I became CIO at Cisco, which is, as you know, it's a 50 billion, now a $62 billion company. The CEO, John Chambers, and, and the leader at the time, Rebecca Jacoby, called me and said, hey, you know, are you ready? And I said, are you ready? He said, gee, are you ready? And I'm like... Yes, I'm ready. Then we're ready to tell you that you're the CI chief information officer at Cisco Systems. And, the, you know, it's just that moment was like, it was so overwhelming. I went back to my hotel room and I was like, what just happened? I, my team went from 700 people to 7,000 people or, and like that. And I, and I called up my assistant and she said, gee, what do you always tell people? Someone is going to change the world. Someone's going to do that job. Why not you? She turned it around on me. And I would just tell everyone, when you think that you're scared, when you think that you're afraid of doing something or getting in there or asking a question, someone else is just as afraid, but they're going to go ask it. 
So why not you? So I would say that first. And then the second is I'm super proud of the journey. I, you know, people ask me all the time, what would you do different? And I think back and I'm like, you know, I've had a lot of successes, but I've had a lot of people see the, 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 the glory story, but they don't see the story behind the story. And those stories behind the story, those moments of, you know, where you just want to just quit. There's moments where you feel like, you know, you just can't move on. Those are those moments where you got to go, hey, someone's going to do it. Why not me? That where you came from is also important. So I say always remember where you came from and the learnings to inspire where you're going. And that's, I think, um, those two messages. Someone will change the world. Why not you? And always remember where you came from to inspire where you're going. Guillermo, that is wonderful advice for all people at all stages of their career. All of us have that potential to change the world and all of us come from somewhere and that influences where we are today as well as where we are going. Guillermo, thank you for joining us today. Conectado is literally changing the face of innovation and we're all stronger and the world is better for it. Fue un placer. Muchísimas gracias. Un placer. Silicon Valley Vibes will be back after this quick message. Hey everyone, Becca Killian here, Manager of Events for Silicon Valley Leadership Group, with a reminder to register for this year's 45th Annual Forum presented by Amazon and PG&E. Our marquee event will take place on December 14th at Levi Stadium, home of the San Francisco 49ers. Open to all SVLG member company employees, this event will spark discussions on AI and its impact on elections. Don't miss a chance to hear about our rising startup initiative and exclusive networking with industry leaders, innovators, and policymakers at the cocktail reception. For more information on this event and to register, please go to svlg.org forward slash events. We hope to see you there. And we're back with the inspiration, with ideation, and with um, alliterations on Silicon Valley vibes. Welcome back to SVV. Nadia, I've been waiting all episode to hear about your conversation with Kyle Zazo and sustainability as to how it relates to storytelling. You know, this conversation combined art and life and a number of passions that I have personally, but also things that I've seen play out professionally. It was really interesting to hear Kyle's perspective about the climate in Hollywood per se, some of the challenges and misconceptions around sustainability and storytelling, and most importantly, what Kyle and many others like him are doing to make a positive impact in a space that has the potential to reach millions of people. Let's check it out. So we have a very special treat for all of you out there. And at Silicon Valley Vibes, you know we pride ourselves on the nerdy. But we also know that these nerdy topics exist in society. And what drives society, in my mind, it is arts and entertainment. So it is my pleasure to introduce to you Kyle Zezo. Kyle, tell us about yourself. Who are you? What brings you here today? Well, first of all, thank you so much, Nadia, for having me. I'm really excited to be chatting with you. So I work in the television industry, particularly non-scripted television, which is competition shows, game shows, docu-series, comedy and improv, and basically anything that is not a scripted drama. I was at the CW for about 10 years. I oversaw their non-scripted television department. 
I recently left the CW early this year and began a journey as an executive producer on a few of the series I was overseeing. Uh, but I also got involved in the climate and sustainability space in Hollywood as I was exiting the network. And so that's a, another area that I'm really involved in right now. No, I love it. You know, you describe yourself sometimes as being on a climate journey. So what exactly does that mean for you? I think we all are going through our own journeys when it comes to a ton of like social and political issues. So I'm keen to hear from your perspective, like how you approach that, what it means for you and what you're doing. You know, when I was still at the CW, I started telling people that I wanted to hear climate stories from producers. Uh, the way it works typically at, as a, at a network is you have your mandates, you know what the network is buying, what it is you want to put on the air, you send that out to agencies, to producers, and then they come to you with pitches for new story concepts and new um, series. And so I started putting out there that, you know, we wanted to take a look at climate stories that weren't ostensibly about climate, which I think I would now frame as like intersectional or, you know, otherwise representational, where you have a story about anything and all and, and you find the overlaps with, with climate change. I started putting that out there. The problem was that very few people were bringing me these. The stories that were coming in that were about climate change were really on the nose, super obvious which we do need those stories, we need more of them, but that's just not necessarily what the CW was known for. So I ended up getting some stuff going in development, got some messaging related to sustainability practices on the air in some of the other series and specials that I was working on, along with a couple of climate docs. But the solutions really came when it came out that the CW was being sold, which prompted me to, instead of just focusing inward, start reaching outward and seeing who in Hollywood is focused on this, who is working on this. And I come to find that there's this massive community of people, every studio, every streamer, every network basically has their own sustainability department. They're focused on storytelling, they're focused on production practices, they're focused on company and industry policies and so on. So there's a massive like army of people who are really focused on this. But when I got involved, I realized there weren't a lot of people focusing on non-scripted television. So that was sort of this area that was left out and so I decided to, as much as possible, as much as I can collaborate with anybody who's already doing this work and, and you know, start new things to, to really focus on that. And so that's been the gist of, of what I've been up to recently is, is going around and speaking about how to talk about climate and sustainability and conservation in the context of non-scripted and encouraging more people to do so, as well as developing my own concepts that are exploring those, you know, the intersection of, of, of climate and storytelling and hoping to get those out to market once the market is in a little bit of a better place. No, I love it. So essentially you identified and noticed the gap and also noticed that that gap aligns with your skills and expertise. And the piece that you called out, that's something that speaks to me because I like in watching TV and watching entertainment and engaging in media and the arts in general, the more you start to see things, the more you begin to think about things differently. Think about like the will and graces of the world or thinking about seeing, you know, more black folks in positions where they're professionals and sort of like leading the conversation and not like, you know, cast a little bit down down the line, you begin to see folks in, in a different light. And then some of your bias gets removed, but you also, when it when you see those things in real life, your response is a little bit different. Um, I think that piece that you mentioned about, you know, you can have a climate story that's on the nose. I think of like the day after tomorrow, where like the subject of the movie is climate change, 100%, as opposed to another show where you may notice people are recycling, or you may notice that there's flooding that's happening, and the flooding is like attributed to like climate change or things that are happening, but it's not necessarily the main sort of story arc for lack of a better word, and how you can, you begin to get socialized to those things as well and start connecting those dots like mentally, like on your own. 
I think that place of like the non-scripted television, and I'm happy that you explained that because I saw on your um like your bio and LinkedIn alternative programming, and I'm like, what does that mean? But now I understand and get it. But it also is, you know, when you put out an art or entertainment, you want to reach the broadest audience possible. And I have friends who are only into unscripted television. So being able to have those things sort of pop up there as well um, makes sense. Um, a question I have for you is you mentioned there's like supply and demand when it comes to, you know, what the networks and stations are interested in and buying. And you also alluded to the fact that the the economy has an impact on that as well. So what do you see as being like the next step other than things like fundamentally changing from an economic point of view about being able to make increase and grow that demand? Is it is it talking about the fact that these things need to be incorporated into it? Is it, you know, does there need to be like a national news story about something that you're able to sort of like naturally like, you know, catch the tail in on? Like, how are you thinking about being able to move the needle? There are definitely barriers or perceived barriers, at least, to talking about this on screen. I think you bring up so many great points about the histories of parasocial contact, right? Like parasocial relationships where you're seeing people on screen who you can may not know these people in real life or may not like be intimately you know familiar with people who have different types of worldviews and stuff but when you come to see them on screen and you get to know them and start to love them as characters you actually start to feel personal connections with them relate to them and it can change your perspective and your outlook on things so that's a really important thing i think in the climate space climate change intersects with basically every kind of story i think like i think there's so many social justice stories that are on the surface about climate change that actually underneath the surface have you know some intersectionality there which is really important to explore and bring up if you look at people who are going to be on the front lines of climate impacts they're clearly you know not the people generally in the communities who have who have caused climate change uh, so you're looking at generally people of color you're looking at impoverished communities and you're looking at the global south so kind of telling those stories and uplifting those voices and giving the platform for for people to tell their own stories i think those are all really critical a lot of the barriers I actually don't even know if they're really real. <laughs> and I'll explain that for a second. I think if you ask Americans, what percentage of other Americans do you think care about climate change? The answer is somewhere in the range of below 50%. So there's this idea, this pervasive idea out there that people don't care about this. And I think a lot of execs and producers in the entertainment industry have the same perspective. Others don't, but many of them do. There's also some other statistics. YPCCC has a stat that 67% of Americans rarely or never discuss climate change with others, which even if they do care about it, it leads to the spiral of silence and reinforces the belief that other people don't care. But the reality is strikingly different. According to a Washington, Washington Post and Kaiser Family Foundation poll from 2021, eight in 10 Americans acknowledge anthropogenic climate change as real. There was a survey that This Is Planet Ed and Capita did in 2022 that showed that 74% of Americans say we have a moral obligation to address climate change for the sake of future generations. And uh, an organization I work with in the entertainment space called Rare, they did a survey that just came out this year that shows that seven in 10 Americans want to see more climate-friendly actions on screen. So there is definitely an audience demand for this. There are some barriers when it comes to how to talk about climate change. And I think that 
you know, to your point, yes, you want to have those A stories and you also want to have these characters you relate to. You mentioned actions that you can see on screen and all of these things can be incorporated. You can have a cooking show and you, there's so many things you can do to normalize behaviors and normalize ways of thinking to meet the audiences where they already are, as we've seen with these stats, like you know, induction stoves, incorporating induction stoves in the cooking process, or, you know, involving more plant-based foods and bringing on plant-based chefs, normalizing composting, all, all these different things. And, and, and one of the things that we have to do is also talking about it so we can encourage people to talk about it more and break the spiral of silence. And so it's finding those ways in to do it in an entertaining way, because you don't want to lean into the or inadvertently fall into the expectation that it's going to be didactic or that it's going to be uh, inevitably depressing or overwhelming or something like that. You want to show those other avenues, but I do think the part about actually encouraging conversation is, you know, almost just as important as modeling the good behaviors. The last thing I will say on this too, is that it has to happen at a large scale. Like we really have to scale it up. People have been putting this type of stuff on television for decades. That's a really good thing and a really good instinct, but we have to really be changing the culture and we have to be targeting all kinds of audiences. You know, we have to understand what is the perspective in the worldview of the audience that this show or that show is reaching and then shift or, or adjust the content to make sure that it's resonating with those worldviews and those perspectives. Cause it's, it's, you know, if we do it here and there, it's it's just not, frankly, enough. Like, we, we have to really scale up and do so very quickly. <laughs> no, I will say as a, a social scientist and a researcher, I love that you came with receipts and out of the show that the demand is there. I think you also allude to a, a very important topic, which is something that is like the undertones of a lot of the arts and entertainment is that people don't want to have the real conversations or be reminded of, like, the actual state of play and condition. Like, I know there are a lot of people who look to art and entertainment sort of to escape from reality. But there is also like an equal, and I would imagine group that is looking to be informed, looking to kind of figure out how to push the needle and want to be challenged in that way with those conversations. So um, that piece about meeting people where they are definitely jumped out to me and also focusing on the how and the who in order to make sure that you can give people what they want, but also doing it in a manner that they, they receive. Um, I'm taking notes and wrote down a couple of like words that you've taught me and that you've taught our audience today. This this spiral of silence concept is actually quite well. Like it's a little bit of, I'm gonna use a very, like the world could be changing, but if you're looking at, you know, entertainment and arts and it's not reflecting any of that, you can be under the misconception that none of the things outside of the world are real. And there's a, I would say almost like a duty for the art to be able to tie those dots, connect those dots and be able to have a different type and a real conversation um, in a new way, especially when it comes to topics that absolutely impact them every day, even if they don't recognize or verbalize it. But they know, like internally or intrinsically, that something is going on there. Um, the next question that I have for you is a little bit about Hollywood is known for leading the industry when it comes to arts and entertainment. Silicon Valley is known for innovating and leading when it comes to tech and what's next. How do you see our two worlds intersecting and what should we all be doing together in order to make sure that we can elevate these topics, but also, you know, set humanity up for success moving forward? I will say first... These are both very creative and innovation-driven industries. So I will have, I'll throw out some ideas and, and you know, talk about some stuff, but there's obviously going to be things that I am missing that, that could really benefit both of these industries. But I think there, there's a few things. First of all, 
in the stories that Silicon Valley tells, whether it's talking to its customers, whether it's with its own advertising and media, or even like business to business, we're always telling stories. And every story really, as I've said, you know, has the potential to intersect with climate and sustainability. So even if it's not Hollywood, even if it's your product stories, your brand stories, what have you, you can find those intersections and you can make it more front and center. We know that people care about this. So I think it's actually critical to connect with an audience. Apple recently came out with like the short film, like the Apple execs are speaking to Octavia Spencer, who's playing Mother Nature. And it's this back and forth where the whole thing is about their climate initiatives and their sustainability initiatives. And it's so good like as a as a piece of media it was really entertaining and it actually like you know usually we say like stay away from the stats and stay away from that but i actually felt like the way that they embedded it into the story was it was really effective and it was really nice and it was entertaining and you know a touch emotional so like i think that just telling that brand story is is one thing you can do and and you know you'll sort of be sure that you're also meeting reaching audiences that way if you want to get involved in hollywood there's obviously things like brand integrations where you can essentially sponsor media and whether it's integrated in, in you know, your, your brand or your product is integrated into a show. If you're building ancillary content around your product or your brand uh, alongside a show, but in, in coordination with it, you can align your brand and this messaging in the TV show. Like you have the power to sort of pull a lever there and say, we want to be associated with this and we want to work it in, in a way that's entertaining, but in a way that's going to, you know, register with people and also keep it tied to, to us and our brand. So I think that creates incentives for producers and for um, buyers like networks and streamers and stuff to include that content if they know that the advertisers they're working with and, and the third party companies are going to insist on having that incorporated. But then behind the scenes, you know, Hollywood productions are also quite dirty. Generally, it's something that a lot of people are working on and there there are more and more solutions to this every day, but productions create a lot of waste. There's a lot of emissions. There's just, there's a lot of dirtiness around these. So whether it's products or services, technology, software, whatever it can, it can be, to make productions greener and more efficient every way, those things would be really welcome, I think, in this industry and, and have the potential to be really, you know, successful as like a, as like a, if, if you're like thinking of like a, you know, with a business mind of like, what can I do to sort of innovate and disrupt, then, um, you know, there's potentially some solutions there. So I, those are just like a few things off the top of my head. Nadia, if you have other thoughts on that. No, those are those are perfect. I love the start of like the fact that we are shared storytellers because we are when introducing a new product, when introducing a new concept, there is a level of narrative around it and a level of like attachment that both sides try to create. I will say for those out there, you know, paying attention, finding the intersections is a is an interesting challenge and a good one that we both should take up. The fact that we are existing in this very consequential space with a lot of reach and the ability to scale quickly, moving in that and then I will say, I'm sure there are lots of people out there who are thanking you for giving them a new problem to solve. You know, tech engineers love a good challenge. So being able to take up and pick up a new one is definitely something that I can foresee being of value. Um, I know we are almost at time. So I will first thank you for joining us. I will remind all of the folks out there to remember avoiding the spiral of silence and the importance of incorporating real life into all the things that we are doing and thinking. You taught me a new term of parasocial. So now I'm going to go outside and use that with people in conversations. And before we wrap, we'll give you the last word. Kyle, what else should we know? What should we do? 
anything you want to leave us with? First of all, thank you so much for having me. This has really been a great conversation and I love your podcast. I listened to a a number of the episodes last season where there were some really fantastic people on it. One of my favorites, I think as a friend of yours was the, was the Uber, the guy from Uber who was talking about their initiative to get to hundred percent sustainability by 2030, which is really impressive. The great thing about both Hollywood and Silicon Valley is that when we talk about needing institutional change, that can be our institutions. Culture change, in my view, is just collective individual change. But our products, whether they're entertainment products or whether they're tech products or services or what have you, they reach and they impact massive amounts of individuals. So part of what we need to do on TV is model positive impact behaviors, but our industries can directly model this behavior with greener systems, impacting how people live to be more in line with their own values and uh, and really just changing the narrative on this. So that's a really powerful thing. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us today. This conversation was insightful and magical. So appreciate you. Nadia, thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure. And so that was the conversation. I found the discussions to center on the power of narratives, stories that connect us to our past, our present, and the future we're trying to create. Whether it's a more equitable future, a more sustainable future, or both. Nadia, where do you see the points of connection between these two conversations today? You know, narrative is an excellent one. The connection that I see is two innovators leveraging new platforms in order to reach lots of people in a new way. TV is something that is very personal. You sit to people who you like, hopefully, in your home, listening and understanding and learning about new things. And then listening to Guillermo talk about how you're leveraging sort of the metaverse and the virtual space in order to build community, reach people to learn and to educate. So I think it's cutting edge on all fronts and love the fact that they are jumping in and leveraging new media, new platforms, and just new ways of reaching the people who need to be reached. And that wraps this episode of Silicon Valley Vibes. Please like, share, and subscribe. And remember, with millions of stories in Silicon Valley, you can't always get all the details, but you can get the vibes right here on Silicon Valley Vibes. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Silicon Valley Vibes. How about a hand for the amazing humans and AIs that make our show so great? Produced by human Chuck Dickinson and his fellow humans at Silicon Valley Leadership Group. And from all of us at SVV, thanks for listening and we hope you have a great day.